In addition to this man, Boaz, that we saw last week, in addition to him offering her sustenance in food, he was offering her protection from the wicked world around her. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 22, when she comes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, here's what Naomi says. It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she knew that there was protection. And folks, I found this. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. Here's what I found to be true. There is protection when you walk with the Lord. There is something that in, in walking with the Lord and staying close to God, there is something that happens where he preserves you from the danger that's in the world. Meaning this, when a person decides to distance themselves from God, right? When they, you know, Proverbs 18.1 says this, he who isolates himself, he seeks his own counsel and he quarrels against all sound judgment. And here's what that means. It means that you've heard people say this a lot. Well, you know, you really don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Okay, I hear what you're saying. But here's the problem. When a person doesn't go and they're not in fellowship, I don't know if you know this, the church isn't about, you know, these, the, the stage or the, or the speakers or the band. The church is about you. That's what the church is. And so when people step away from that, when they start to distance, them, the, distance themselves, they lose the safety that is here. They lose the safety that God puts in his people to hold people accountable. And then they start thinking weird. They start having the world's ideology starts taking them over and, and, and parenting and, and money and how you spend stuff and who you hang out with, how you think. Every part of your life is affected by the world around you if you don't have a safety net that competes and puts truth into you. Did you know that? And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. You've been in a place where you've distanced yourself from people, distanced yourself from God, from fellowship, and you find yourself thinking different because there's protection, you guys. There's protection when you have other Christians around you. And if you doubt that, then you're probably not close enough in fellowship to the church. Look, church can be a couple things to you. It can be a place where you come and you check off a list and you say, okay, I, I did this, I, I did this part. Okay, I'm, I'm fine now. Or church can become a, a place where you come and you, you encourage one another unto love and good deeds and you, you, you build each other up to go out into the world and to make disciples of people. It could be that for you. And so the closer you get to people, I understand it's a horrifying concept for some because it's like, dude, if I get too close, there's going to be a vulnerability. I don't know if I could do that. I'm just a kind of a private person. I get it. But here's the thing. There is safety in that. Because when one of us starts thinking weird, another one will look and go, you know what? You might want to think this way. Eh, you might want to consider this or pray about this. So no person can live this life on their own. So as chapter two of Ruth closes you start to see Naomi's countenance change. It's like a hope returns. At the end of chapter one, she was done. I was like, I went out empty and I came, I went out full, came back empty. I can't believe this. She was bitter. She even told the people, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. God has dealt bitterly with me. So dark, chapter one closes really dark. Chapter two closes with a little bit of light. Why? Because in Ruth 2.20, when Naomi asks Ruth, Ruth comes back from Boaz's field and she's loaded, man. She's got like all this grain and, and she's even got a, a takeout box because she had dinner there and, and they're like, well, take some extra back to your mother-in-law. And so she takes them back. She's, where did you get all that? 
And she goes, well, funny thing, I was just gleaning in a field, and I came across this really kind man, and his name was Boaz. And Naomi gets excited. And she says, Boaz? And she says, Boaz is one of our relatives. He's one of our redeemers. What was she talking about? In the law of Moses, you guys, when the wife of her husband was widowed by his death and they had no children together, the closest brother or relative, if there wasn't a brother, could serve as a redeemer by taking the childless widow as his own wife and providing a son, and then that son would be considered the heir of the dead brother or the dead relative or the widower's husband, that, that, that son would be considered his heir. And so it was so that they could carry on the name. This is partly what the Pharisees were referring to or what the Pharisees were referring to in Jesus, with Jesus when they said, hey, we got, a, we got a question for you. He said, what is it? He goes, the man, you know, had a wife and, 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 and the wife's husband died. And so the brother, you know, went ahead and married her and, and didn't have any kids. And so he died and, and so on and so forth for seven. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? That's what they were referring to, the law that talked about this kinsman redeemer. So since Ruth's husband, Malon, had died in, in Moab and his brother had died, the next of kin was going to be a family member. And so Naomi begins to have this hope because she sees he's a relative and she's starting to see a picture where Ruth's life could actually be changed. And it could be different and she could actually have hope and her husband's property could actually be redeemed and she could actually have a life where she's not having to go out and glean. And so things are starting to brighten up for her at the end of chapter two. So let's read chapter three. If you have a Bible, Ruth chapter three. I don't know if we have a, do we, do we have a QR code on there? If you don't have a Bible, you can scan it. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Ruth chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? I, I want a better life for you. Is not Boaz our relative with whom, young women, who, with whom his young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put a cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet hmm, and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, I will do all that you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And, then, and when Boaz had eat and drunk and his heart was merry with wine, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are my redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. My fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy or a virtuous woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if, we, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, 
then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she laid at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley, which is about 60 pounds. And he put it on her shoulders, which means she was, she was ripped, right? Um, then she went, <laughs> doesn't say that, but probably, right? Then... <laughs> Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out, for this man will not rest, but he will settle this matter today. You guys, Ruth was a Moabite. She doesn't understand Jewish customs. She doesn't understand what's happening, right? So when, when Naomi gets excited and says, he's one of Boaz, is one of our redeemers, she's probably like, what's that? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? And so here in chapter three, she's going to have to explain another custom to Ruth. And the whole goal, listen right here, the whole goal is to get Ruth to the feet of Boaz, because when she gets to the feet of Boaz, Boaz knows what that means. Naomi knows what that means. Even though Ruth probably has no clue, Naomi's whole point is we got to get you to the feet of Boaz. And so she starts off and she tells her first thing is you got to take a shower, right? Like if you're going to go meet a guy, you, got, you can't smell, man. You got to, it's just not going to work. Guys, if you're going to meet a girl, you can't smell, right? Number one rule if you want to start any relationship, it can't be on stank. It's got it's to be like, we got to smell clean, right? Um, young, young brothers, hear me. I, I, I've, been a, I've been a youth pastor for, for, for many years in my early goings. I'm just saying, right? Um, she, she can smell it. So you got you to gotta be careful with that. He says, anoint yourself with perfume, young brothers, right here. Cologne isn't a bath. I just want to tell you right now. Like, you can drop all of it on you want. It, it doesn't cover the stain. So, um, so he tells her, take a shower, get yourself ready, put some perfume on, and then go down to the threshing floor where he's at. And after he's done eating and after he's married with wine, it doesn't mean that he's drunk. It just means that he's had wine. He's kind of relaxed and he's kicking back. Wait till he lies down and he goes to sleep and then uncover his feet and he'll tell you what to do. Now, you know, for me, I'm super uneasy about that. Like my, my feet are my feet. I don't want people touching them. That's just how that is, right? I put socks on my feet and I put a blanket on my feet for a reason. So it, unless it's my cockapoo, you know, trying to pull me to get me to let her out, nobody touches my feet. So that's a weird thing in our custom, right? But in their custom, you guys, it was very common, right? And so... She waits until he lies down, and she does exactly what her mother-in-law tells her. Verse 8 says that when Boaz wakes up at midnight, he looks and he says, who is that? And she says, it's Ruth, and then your servant. And then she says, will you spread out your wings over me as a redeemer? In verse 11, he says, I'll do everything you ask. You guys, why in the world was this woman at his feet at midnight? Right? That's a little creepy. Um, well, in their culture, it was an act of submission that needed to accompany her request. Her request was that he would be her redeemer. But that request 
had to be accompanied with a submissive, broken, low, humble heart. What do I mean? You guys, Boaz knew Ruth was a Moabite. Did you know that? She, he knew that. He knew that she was a widow. He knew she was all alone. He knew that she was broke and that she was poor. He knew she was young and that she was in danger and she needed protection. And she knew that he knew and Naomi knew. So everybody in the story knows. So my question is, why doesn't Boaz just go to her? I mean, they've had a relationship now over the barley harvest. So it's four years, four months. Why doesn't he just go to her and state the obvious and say, hey, look, I know what your need is and I'm the one that can provide it. So, hey, I'm going to do this for you. Because, folks, the one in need of redemption is the one who has to humble themselves at the feet of the Redeemer and ask for what he's able to provide. I'll say that again. The one who's in need of the redemption has to humble themselves before the feet of the Redeemer to ask him to provide what he's able to provide. You guys, Ruth asked for redemption. Will you spread out your wings over me? And he said, yes, I will. You guys, listen, her redemption was secured at the feet of her Redeemer. The transaction between the two happened there. When she was there and she asked, will you be that for me? While she was at his feet. And this is not the first time that we see this, you guys. In Luke chapter 7, in verse 36, Jesus goes into the house of a Pharisee. And while he's there having lunch or dinner or whatever it is, all these righteous religious people, this whore comes in. That's what she was. She was said to be a sinner. But in that day, there was only one occupation that a woman who had nobody to care for her could do. And it was to sell herself. So she was, she was a sinner in the sense that she was a harlot. And so she comes in with this perfume, with this alabaster, and she pours it over Jesus' head. I mean, imagine the lunch on, on that one, right? Some woman just walks in and dumps oil on you. Then she bows down to her knees and she starts taking her hair and she's wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. And she's crying. She's on her face before the, the, the Redeemer. The men, the holy men that know God so well are in the room. And they start thinking to themselves, if this man were a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is that is touching him. And Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, says, hey, let me ask you something. At what point, if, if, if you're in the room and he's reading your mind, you're like, whoa. He says, let, let me ask you something. Two people had two debts. One was 50 denarii and one was like, you know, 500 denarii. Both were forgiven their debt. Which one do you think would love more? And then the Pharisee said, well, I suppose it would be the one who was forgiven more. And he says, you're right. Let me tell you about this woman that you don't know anything about. I came into your home and you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. I came into your home, you didn't anoint my feet with oil. But this woman, whose sins are many, he acknowledges, has not stopped crying and wiping my feet with her tear and anointing my feet with oil. I tell you, her sins are forgiven. He turns towards a woman. He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. The transaction happened at his feet. There was a place of humility. It didn't, it didn't happen. It doesn't happen when somebody thinks, you know, okay, well, you know, God's, you know, okay, great. I'll, if, if I'm that important to God, fine. I'll, I'll give my life. You know, God can forgive me. Lord, you know, big guy upstairs, here I am. 
keep that. The transaction with the Redeemer takes place when I'm on my face and I'm walking and I'm crying and I'm before God and I realize I have a need and he's the one that can meet the need. That's where Ruth was. She had nothing in life. She had nobody to care for her. She was broke and she was unprotected. And likely if she, when that harvest was over, she ended up in somebody else's field. According to Naomi, you're going to get assaulted. So here's a guy who's showing her kindness and showing her love and provision and protection amidst the wreckage of her life. That was her redeemer. And that is exactly what Christ does for you and I in the wreckage of the life, in the loneliness, and all the stuff that we've accumulated by walking away from him, when he introduces himself as the Redeemer, he comes, but we need to meet him at his feet. That's where the transaction takes place. Guys, this woman risked a lot. She risked humiliation, didn't she? What if she came and she started washing her feet and washing his feet and and he sided with the other guys. What are you doing? Get up. What are you doing down there? It's, it, it, it's a vulnerable thing to bow your heart before God and to trust that he's able to take care of you. It's a vulnerable thing. It's a vulnerable thing to open your heart because you're hurt. You're, you have deep pain and, and you, it's, it's reality for you. There's no cure for it. And you're sitting there in the back of your mind going, well, God allowed this to happen like Naomi did. And now you want me to bow down and trust my life to him? Bump that. I ain't any part of that. That's a hard thing. But you have to humble yourself and you have to come to the one who can fix it. And he was able to change her life, he was. Jesus said something very interesting, you guys, in John 6, 37. He said, all that the Father Father gives to me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast aside. I'm not going to turn them aside. I'm not going to say no to them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to see their need, and I'm going to meet it. You guys, Boaz, as Ruth's redeemer, is this beautiful shadow of what ultimately happens in Christ. You and I are Ruth in the story. We're the bankrupt ones. We're the poor ones. We're the ones that have been ravaged by life and broken from death and everything. We're that. And, and one day, you guys, it just kind of happens that we find ourselves in God's field. What does that mean? Somehow somebody comes into our life. We're rubbing elbows with Boaz's workers. We're in God's field. A, a neighbor comes to us, a coworker, a, a friend, a family member, you name it. And all of a sudden they're talking about the Lord. They're meeting us. You might even come to church and you're rubbing elbows with God's servants and you're hearing the very things that are happening in your life. And you're kind of like, man, where is this guy getting this information from? Are they like tapping into my head? But they're telling me my life right now. And so you find yourself just happen to be in the presence of God's people. And then you start to hear how generous God is. And your heart is intrigued. And you're like, man, you know, why are these people like just different? Why is it that they got this joy? Why is it that they're always talking about God? I mean, my religion doesn't talk about God. I mean, we go to church and then we go do us, you know, Monday through Saturday, sow our wild seed. And then we come on Sunday and pray it doesn't break ground. I mean, that's, that's what church is, right? But these people are serious about God on Monday. Like this dude's reading his Bible on Tuesday. And now my, my neighbor's going to a women's thing on Monday and a prayer thing on Wednesday. And they got, man, these people ever have a life? But you start to realize in your heart, this is really real to them. What is it about this that is different 
because I don't have it. And then one day you realize, after talking to the servants of Boaz, that man, this guy is generous, this redeemer is amazing, he's caring, and you yourself want to be a part of that clan. And when that happens, you guys, like every redeemed person before you, you end up at the feet of Jesus asking the same thing of him that Ruth asked of Boaz. Would you spread your wings and could you be my redeemer? What does it mean? Would you spread your wings? Would you cover me? Would you cover me? If you know the Lord, there was a day where you basically said, would you cover my sin? Would you cover my shame? Would you cover me and make provision for me? Would you take care of me? Would you be my security? If you're a Christian, you essentially ask the same thing. God, would you be the one who takes care of me as a redeemer? And like Boaz said to Ruth, Jesus responds to you and says, anything you ask in my name, I'll give you. The same exact thing. You guys, the typology here is clear. Boaz is a type of Jesus. Without question, the kinsman redeemer. Ruth is a type of the Gentile bride, right? From Moab, not a part of Israel. If we had time, we could look into this more. Naomi becomes a type of the Jewish people who are restored. However, you guys, there's a part of this story that bugs me. I've never liked it. In fact, for me, it ruins the imagery. And for some of you who've read this story, you might understand and, and agree with me. It's in verse 12 and verse 13. When Boaz says that he'll gladly redeem Ruth, but he says there's a closer kin than me who has the right to redemption. So before Boaz, there was somebody else that if they were willing to pay the price of redemption, then they could do it. And I don't like that because I feel like this is a love novel and there's like a third person in it. It's like, what are you doing there, dude? Like, get out of the story. You don't belong there. This is about Boaz and Ruth, and you're like totally crowding this, right? And so, I, I mean, just out of curiosity, how, how many of you guys have ever just kind of thought, like, that's this, like, why is, why is this guy there? Why is this other redeemer there? Like, there's a close, I mean, if the imagery is Boaz is, is, is you know, a type of Christ, you know, Acts forces, there's no other name given under heaven whereby which a man can be saved. Jesus is it. Right, he said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You ain't getting to God except through me. So who's this other redeemer? Who's this other guy? Like, is this another way to God? Is, is, that, what is, is that what the imagery's saying? Like, he's like, get out of there. Like, how many of you guys are just kind of down deep in your heart? You don't have to follow. It's just maybe me, but you might say, why is this guy in the story? Right, nobody, just me? Okay, that's cool. I want him out of the story. <laughs> I never liked it. <laughs> it ruins my novel. Or does it? Maybe it's there to communicate the most important part of the story, the most important part. 